Integration into a new community or culture doesn't instantly or magically happen. So what does it take to plant deep roots into a new community or culture? We are honored to have Melvin Lehman back with us for this episode. Melvin is a pastor, a farmer, a teacher, a husband and father, and a grandfather. So to start this conversation, um, Melvin, I'd like to talk about the relationship between strong community identity and openness to others entering our community. Many people with backgrounds other than conservative Mennonite look at our churches and communities and find it appealing for a variety of reasons. Um, they find aspects of truth that resonate with them, strong communities that resonate with them, sometimes families. And there's just a wide variety of reasons that people sometimes find our churches appealing. However, at least from my observation where I've been able to see, while there have been many people who are interested and sometimes spend years in our communities, it's um, much less frequent that people end up putting deep roots down and staying long-term. So I'm curious how you think about the relatively low rate of seekers who end up staying in our churches. Mm -hmm. That question is a, a very good question. And I think any honest uh, Mennonite pastor would have to say it's troubling. It's like, well, yeah, why? How come? Uh, so I want to acknowledge the, the validity of the question and uh, the value of the question. And so my comments might sound a little defensive in some ways, but I want to be clear, I'm troubled by the phenomena that we're talking about here for sure. I'm also glad to say that I have seen on occasion that in fact uh, a person has come into our particular cultural expression of Christianity and have been able to, to uh, put down roots and, and stay. Now, fascinating, it normally is through marriage. Hmm. I, I can't help but tell the story of my, uh, my mother-in-law here for whatever it's worth. So my mother-in-law was unchurched. Uh, she grew up in a family that did not go to church. Now, when I say they didn't go, they may have gone on Easter or at Christmas time or something like that, but they were not churchgoers. My father-in-law grew up a Mennonite, a good man. He did like some Mennonite young fellows do. Uh, had his fling. And he, uh, while he was on his fling, he met my mother-in-law, whose name is Peggy. Was Peggy. She's gone now. Got married to her. She was 17, I believe. And he was 19, if I remember the story correctly. Uh, still in his wild years, I guess you might say. Went into service, uh, the 1W service, mind you, interestingly enough, World War II. Six months after being married, uh, he, he told me with his own mouth, he said, I came under very, very, very deep conviction. And uh, I said, I said to Peggy, you know, I'm sorry, Peggy, but I'm going to have to read. I must return to my roots, to the church I grew up in. I, 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 I must repent and return. Her reaction is what has astounded me over and over again. Unch not only non-Mennonite, unchurched, but she said, well, didn't I promise you when I married you that wherever you go, I'm going? <laughs> mm, wow. And 
uh, well, yeah, you did. Well, she said, if that's where you're going, then that's where I'm going. And she came into the church in that fashion. I could tell you a multitude of stories associated with that and her testimony on her as she died, uh, being strong there. And of course, one of the greater testimonies that is my wife was a result of that, of, uh, of that marriage and a very fine lady she is. Peggy, my mother-in-law's route into the Mennonite church and into Christianity was through marriage to my father-in-law. So that's one success story. Now, I already said, I still receive the question and understand the soreness of it and the difficulty of it. A couple of observations. First, I would note that the problem spoken of here is not just a Mennonite issue. Even uh, pop Christianity struggled today to keep people, keep young folks, or even get them to come into church, let alone stay there. The culture that we're living in is just simply not they're not oriented toward the church, nor toward commitments, nor anything of that nature. A former student of mine did some uh, research here in, in the town of Meadville, actually among the, the evangelical churches, and was astounded to find out that in a church of, say, 700 people, the actual core group that has been with that group from the very beginning has stuck with it over 10, 15, 20 years, is really small. It tends to be a game of musical chairs in the Christian community. So here's a church that starts, and I went to the First Methodist Church over here, but I'm, oh, I like this church over here, so I come over here for a while. But the actual core groups that stay there over the long haul are relatively small. Just backing up my statement a little bit, that this is not just a Mennonite problem of the revolving door thing. People come in and they're there for a while and then they leave and go somewhere else. I'm not making the excuse and I don't want to be overly defensive. I'm just saying that, okay, let's not wear something here that is not a pretty common problem in the Christian community, really. Having said that, the problem still remains. <laughs> and my second comment there is the reason people are attracted initially a lot of times, and you gave some reasons, the reason they're initially attracted, they see community and there's something in that. A lot of times I say they're attracted to the families, they're attracted to the, they're attracted to community. They oftentimes say that, but they don't know the price of community. And that's, there's the catch. And I'm not sure if we do either. In fact, uh, I mentioned to you in a, con a personal conversation I had with you one time that while I see the, the rising generation, even among Mennonites, very interested in community, I'm not sure if I really know what the price is to form the kind of communities that give life the way some of our communities at least did over the years. I grew up in a community that nurtured me. I'm the man I am largely because of a Mennonite community that cared and served and parents that cared and served me well. I was nurtured. So naturally, I'm attracted there, not just because I grew up there, but because I saw its value. So again, now this person who looks in and sees this, I, he's attracted. But that somebody paid a big price to, com to, to create the community I grew up in. Okay. Uh, what is that price? Well, I mentioned some in a previous episode. So commitment, for example, it's a big one where you're, you're actually stay committed over the long haul. 
I'm remembering or I'm thinking of a person that that would fit precisely what I'm talking about here. Just I'm going to call him Sam. That's not his real name. So Sam was deeply interested in the Mennonite community, intrigued by it, had been around to various churches, was very frustrated. And when he walked into a Mennonite church, he said, wow, this is what I've been looking for. I'll shorten the story. Over the, the catch was the veiling. Okay. I want to say the catch, it just was hard for him and his wife to be able to, to embrace the practice of the ladies wearing veilings as laid out in Corinthians. Now think on this just a little bit. So you can adapt if you want, make some changes in order to, to accommodate. You can do that. Or you can, you can stick to your concept that this is, uh, this is a Bible teaching and we as a brotherhood have committed to actually practicing this. We're not going to be judgmental of others who do not and say that they're not Christians, but it is what we've agreed to. And so if you belong to us, we expect you to commit to it. Uh, Sam couldn't see past that. And I'm not here to throw stones at him. However, I, what I've observed over the years is a tendency is to try to tease something like the veiling, let's say, outside make it a separate puzzle piece from the entire picture and just examine it and hammer it to death for, I don't know, for whatever faults it may have, and then say, well, there's no, there's no reason to practice this. Well, now think again, my, my comment is the price of community is pretty high. The Mennonite community in general has, at least I think, made a credible effort to say, well, if the Bible says so, we're going to try to practice it. And on that second point that I commented on in a previous episode, and that is the idea that I will submit myself to the decisions of the brotherhood. Those are integral pieces of creating community. It's hard to create community if you do not have a firm commitment. If the Bible says so, we're going to try to live it. We might do it imperfectly, but we're going to try to. Furthermore, if I'm a little confused on the issue, I will submit myself to the Brotherhood's concepts and understanding and the way they're living this out. Those two alone go a long way in actually, they're the tools of committing these strong communities that some of us have come to deeply appreciate. And I think some outside people from outside our communities looking in appreciate, but they don't understand that that's the issue. Those, those two pieces are very important. So for Sam, he said this very directly. I, I heard him say it. I have to understand the scriptures the way I understand it. Well, I understand a certain level of truth to that. It is true that I have to embrace the scripture and know them, imbibe them into my heart and live them. I, I understand that. I myself, though, will tell you, Jaron, there are some things I don't quite understand from the scriptures. Uh, many things. <laughs> I'm quite willing to come alongside my brother's and hear from them and hear them speak into my life and so forth and try to get figure out what's the best way to live with the understanding we have and commit myself to that. Well, on both of those counts, Sam was not willing to, he wanted to interpret the scriptures the way he wanted to, and he was perfectly unwilling to, to commit himself or submit himself to a brotherhood decision. I know that even some of our listeners are going to be a little frustrated with how hard I'm pushing on that point. It is the price of community. 
And again, I've said previously, I'll say again, I wouldn't want to be misunderstood that I think that piece of community means an unconditional surrender to everything the community says. I think, though, it has to be pretty, pretty far up there on how I'm thinking about belonging to the body of Christ. But make sure you're understanding my, my original point is people coming in are attracted, but they don't understand the price that it really does, that it costs to belong, even to create a community like we're talking about. Very difficult to do. And I wonder if we ourselves understand what price is there. So then when we get involved in it, like Sam did, and find run into a snag, well, without some of those pieces that you and I grew up with kind of being taught, or maybe being taught pretty thoroughly and not always lived out so well, but we understand that that's kind of in our, but what if you weren't? What, what, what if you grew up thinking independence and I'm my own man and nobody tells me and now I become a Christian and boy, this thing of just actually surrendering everything is a bigger question. I think that's part of the, the reason that people don't integrate. Now, I want to be sure to, to say, I think we should work hard, very hard at finding ways to actually get that question on the floor up front in appropriate ways without answering all the questions and walking people through it. I also want to say that I'm not a fool. We have some problems that exacerbate the problem. We are very family oriented. And I've heard this repeatedly from people who try to break into our circles. I have the wrong last name. That's what they'll say. Uh, and what, the, what they mean by that is, well, they just can't integrate into the family structures and have the same identity that the Laymans, the Martins, the Millers, or whoever may have. I'm troubled by that. I understand it, and I'm troubled by it, and we need to, I don't know, we need to work hard on that question. So I was a little defensive. I'm also admitting, not only admitting, just simply saying, let's be honest, we have some work here to do. Mm-hmm. And that maybe gets to your second question as well yeah. here. I don't know. Well, let's go to that question. Um, some churches, Anabaptists and otherwise, have made varying degrees of adjustments to the status quo in the interest of accommodating seekers. Often this might include um, lessening the requirements for yes. membership in the church yes. or community. Understood. So I'm curious how you have seen such adaptations functioning in the churches that you've observed and have been involved in. And to what extent are you comfortable or uncomfortable with these sorts of adjustments and adaptations? Big question and beyond my capacity to answer. I, I give uh, the basis of my answer is on two experiences. One of three experiences. The one is growing up in a typical conservative Mennonite community, pretty closed, but a good community. Second one is what I'm currently doing, and you're a part of Meadville Mennonite Chapel, which has, as one of its ideas, is to establish a congregation in town and invite townspeople and others uh, to be a part of this congregation. And a third one was a, a, a plant, the attempt to plant a church in Poland, in Minsk Mazowiecki. So we've got some foreign mission work. I have a home congregation or my growing up congregation, just as strong and steady as can be. And then, of course, an attempt to, to with a core of people, go into Meadville and do some work there and call people into the church. So that's the background here. 
of what I'm talking about. When we started in at Meadville, I told the congregation, when you build bridges into the church, which is adaptation or lessening requirements, or we tried to actually ask ourselves a question. How can we, like Jesus said, fill up the valleys, and like Isaiah said, fill up the valleys and tear down the hills, how can we actually clear the way for people to come into our church? That's a hard question. It's a very difficult question because as a pastor, as the lead pastor at that time, I said, well, brothers and sisters, you build bridges like that, you realize the difficulty is most of those bridges are two-way. Yeah, well, then you can go in across them this way, and then you have people who want to go out across the bridge the other way in ways that I would, there I'm uncomfortable. Leads me to say that adaptation, you might say, or lessening uh, standards that clear the way for somebody to make their way into the church is far more possible if you have a congregation of committed brothers and sisters who already have their identity clearly marked out. It's not that we won't change. I mean, I've changed just because of some of the work that I've talked about here in some ways, but not in any substantial way. Certainly not on any solid biblical basis. Take the issue of, again, the permanence of marriage and all that. I'm unwilling to make uh, adaptations there because of what I've seen, how much wreckage that's created in 20th century Christianity. It's like, why in the world would you adapt yourself there? To, just to pave a way into some more wreckage, as an example. But in other ways, I, of course, I've been able to make some, some, some adaptations. But at the same time, I'm wanting to say to my congregation, now, look, the, the bridge building here is not for your pathway that direction. And uh, unfortunately, this is the troubling thing. But again, hear me right. We should be open to the kind of adaptations and changes that really do fill in the valleys and bring down the hills and, and pave the way. Again, I confess, it's not that we've done really well at this. I would mention Poland now, because there, this was a totally different approach. Why was it a different approach? So we sent two families, not a core group of 10 families to Poland and said, okay, plant a church. I myself was surprised beyond measure at how difficult that has been. Remember, community is defined by values, shared values, shared spaces, shared goals, shared commitments. To build that in foreign territory where you don't have, you have no, uh, none of those really to draw on much, I found very difficult. Again, some of our listeners, and maybe you, Jaron, will not agree with me on this, but it's actually convinced me that if you really want to do good, solid, uh, even foreign missionary work, you better send 10 families. Hmm. You, uh, honestly, the thing we've been talking about in the last number of episodes, community, there's no community there. And what we found is for two families to create that community was unbelievably difficult. You did not hear me say there have not been successful missions that started out the way I talked about. And I'm glad they have. I'm, I'm praise the Lord for whatever success has been there. But for values, goals, and commitments to actually 
either remain in a congregation like Meadville Mennonite Chapel or be built in a place where they don't exist. It's a challenge. But it's not a challenge to be run from. I want to be clear about that. I've wanted to. <laughs> Believe me, there have been times I wanted to just forget it. We'll just be our own little selves. Uh, okay, it's not to be run from. But uh, let's not be foolish about the implications. Uh, did, did we, uh, listen, we've seen, at least from my perspective, seen disaster all over the place where we adapt with this, with that, with the other thing. We're going to cross a bridge the other way, the wrong way. And, uh, and we end up just like everybody else. And I, 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 I'm not okay with that as, as a pastor. So I, I'll just say I want to receive the challenge that I hear being spoken of in the, in the, in the questions. And, and I want to honestly say that we failed at plenty of places. I want to stay engaged with it. The million-dollar question is how do you build the bridge without creating adaptations to send people out into a world that has already gone downhill? and set the stage for our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the Lord Terry's to actually cross that same bridge. I have very little interest in that. I have a lot of interest in thinking about how can we solve the problem that's being talked about here? How can we at least do better? I don't know if we'll ever solve the problem. Sometimes we think, we, well, if we could just clean up everything, we'd, it, it would be so. I don't think so. This is always going to be an issue, but we do need to mitigate it, I think. Well, I've rambled again a bit on it, but that's where those are some of my thoughts on that question, that these questions that are raised here. Good questions, hard answers. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking about them with us. And thank you as a pastor of a church, taking these very these questions very seriously in our context. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you would like to add before we end this episode? I just want to encourage the younger generation uh, to rise up to the challenge. Some of us are showing signs of uh, sort of being on the other side of things. And I want to, as I said in the New Conservatives, I want to uh, give a word of affirmation to young folks. I hear some really good thinking. I hear some uh, really good things happening. I have some confidence that God will raise up, is raising up a people among the younger generation who are actually wrestling with these questions and I have some confidence they'll, they'll, they'll do well with them. There are days it feels a little scary, but I'm just saying that I believe the Lord is building this church and he's going to use your generation uh, to take some of these ideas we've struggled with and not knowing how to implement and perhaps actually get them to work better, at least, than what we have. So be encouraged in that. Well, thank you. That is encouraging. You're I appreciate welcome. it. Thank you for joining us for this episode, and thanks to our donors and partners for making this possible. To learn more about this ministry, view our About Us video linked below. You can also subscribe to our supporters' update at anabaptistperspectives.org.